Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber, signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is Politics Done Right. Welcome to Politics Done Right on KPFT 90.1 FM Houston, Houston's community station. We have a great, great couple of guests for you today. First, we're going to talk to Cliff Oxford, who's the author of Redneck Reverie, the rationale for the Trump phenomenon. And secondly, we're going to talk to Jerry Locke Texas Draw, of Texas Drought Project. These are two good interviews. Lock it in. Let's get busy. We have a special guest, especially in a day when we're losing Brother Trump and we are gaining Brother Biden. We have joining us today is Cliff Oxford here to discuss his third book, Redneck Reverie, the, the rationale for the Trump phenomenon, which combines data-driven insights and real-life experiences to explain Donald Trump's election to the White House and the intersection with rural cultures across America. Having lived his life among both country folks and the elite, Cliff has the exact insights needed to not only help explain how we got here, but to provide guidance on the road moving forward. And let me tell you something, brother. Welcome aboard Politics Then Right. Thank you so much for having us. You, you, you did a very good summary of my life. I'm going to work some of that into my bio. Thank well, you know you. something? Let me, let me tell you something. I want solutions. I, I, I'm a, look, I'm one of those left-wing progressive guys that believe in the things that I believe in, but want to go over there to red country and hug my brothers and sisters and say, hey, we can get this stuff done. And I'm trying to find folks like you and others who have the same thoughts that say, hey, this is what's really going on in red America. So I'm going to, before I get into your book, I'm going to ask you a simple question. What the hell is happening in red America? Well, um, you know, by the way, uh, if the city folks and country folks ever get together, you know, we call it from the holler. Uh, to the urban areas, th that's going to really change the country. There's a lot of similarities between the urban areas and the rural areas if you can get past the emotional stuff. But um, what is happening is, uh, you know, if you read the book, The Coup, what happened uh, on January the 5th or 6th, uh, where they took over the Capitol, if you read the book, you start to understand, hey, it was wrong, it was a siege, but you can't say after reading this book, uh, you know, you don't understand because these are people that were, uh, ha have been disenfranchised and it was by an economic coup in 1982 that started in 1982 with the uh, uh, air, uh, air flight controllers that went on to NAFTA. And you basically say to these people, we can't afford to pay you 20 bucks an hour. You're going to work for $8 an hour and you're going to buy your daily products you need from the dollar store and your children are going to get on opioids. So I, I would ask the people, if, if someone came and gave you that deal, would, there, would you want some, uh, you know, 
uh, some payback, if, if for lack of a better word. Um, now that's what's going on in rural America. That's the people going to the capital is a remnant of that. They're not the center of that. They're not. I tell people, hey, the rednecks didn't show up in the capital because it's a work day. We had they had to work during the middle of the week. Um, but the whole what's happening in rural America is that you took these people that were apolitical, they were very vulnerable, they worked at one job, and when you took their job, you've got to understand this. If, if, you, if you take my job in Atlanta, I can go find another job. I'm mobile. I can go, I'll move anywhere. This is not the deal that Franklin Delano Roosevelt cut with these people. He said, if you vote Democratic, we'll keep you a job. And you've got to admit that contract was broken. I admit that 100%. And, and, and let, me, let me first, so that you can see where I'm coming from, give you a phrase that I use on my show all of the times. And it goes as follows. When we unite the ghettos, the barrios, and Appalachia, we would have taken over the plutocracy. Yes. Do that, you follow that? I, I totally agree with that. And that's the next great leader of America, the next Abraham Lincoln, the next Roosevelt will do that. We'll be able to do that. And that's when you'll have the great America again. Now, it's interesting. I didn't read your entire book. I, I went on to Amazon and started going through some chapters. And then I saw the chapter that said the coup. And then I turned around and I said, wait a minute, but this book wasn't written. This book was written before January 6th. Then I went ahead and read stuff. And I read that you brought up Patco, the Patco strike and all of that. And ironically, that you started with the Patco strike was interesting to me, given that that power play was made by a Republican, a conservative uh, president that effected that thing that says, okay, we're breaking the unions. We're going to break those things, which ensured that you had a certain amount of payment. I bring that up for one reason, because we have made a lot of what's going on in rural America an economic issue. By the way, I go against many of the progressive intelligentsia into really believing it is an economic issue. But I think other factors played in that the, pup, the, the puppeteers used on rural America that they all fell for. What I call, we call the, the election the big lie. I call the totality of what the right does to rural America the huge lie. Uh, let me, I, want to, I, I want you to expand on that, if you will, and then I'll tell you exactly what I mean if you don't expand it as I think you would. Oh, yeah, I wrote in the book. Uh, and by the way, this book was not a pro-Trump book or an anti-Trump book. I know, I know. I do know that. that. So, yeah, Ronald Reagan, uh, and, and to really understand who backed Ronald Reagan uh, was understands what he did. Don't look at Ronald Reagan's rhetoric. Uh, you have to look at what he did. And uh, he started uh, the economic coup, and he tested the waters. If America would have pushed back and the unions would have pushed back, they would have never came forward with NAFTA. So you can say it was started by Reagan and it was finished off by Clinton, a Democratic president signing NAFTA. And by the way, I'm a business guy. I love global trade. I, you just don't sign global trade agreements with no environmental standards and say, guess what, rural America? You're now going to compete with a Chinese worker living in a cardboard box. That's who you're going to compete with tomorrow. And that's what they, and that's what Clinton did when he signed that. So um, it's been, and, and it was all because of wages were getting too high for the, for the, uh, for the, for the stock market to make a lot of money. They had to take wages down and, and they basically said that guy in rural America, we can't afford to pay you 20 bucks an hour. But I don't look, I don't want the, that guy in rural America, that guy in urban America, that guy in exo exurb America. I, I think it's it's um, it's the Americans in general, working class Americans. And when I say working class American, I'm not talking figuratively the working class America everybody think about, which is white America in, uh, let's say, in Appalachia, white America in, in, in the Midwest or anything. I'm talking about all working people. 
got screwed by the establishment, the establishment not being just the Republican establishment, but the Democratic establishment as well. And you, you pointed it out very well when you stated that Donald Trump tested the waters and, and, and Clinton signed NAFTA. That is a perfect instantiation of the establishment. My concern is, and, and explain to me why, my concern is the addiction of the, uh, the rural America and right to support, a po- support policies that can be proven materially to hurt them. Uh, you've been there. You've lived there. Why? I can tell you why. And I don't think anybody else has told you why or told anybody why. But here is the why. It's the value system of rule America. And it's not, let's get away from the religion and all that. There's a, there is a value system there that I don't want to be involved in your politics. I want to be left the hell alone. I want to go do this job with a willing hand, although I don't enjoy it. I don't supposed to enjoy this job. And then I get home and I do what in the, what in the heck I want to do. And that is really fundamental to them. I want to be left alone. And if you, and I don't want to be told what I should believe. Don't tell me I should be believed. I should think about this way on gay marriage. Don't think away. Don't tell me all that. And the Democrats, because they sold out on NAFTA, they have to do their coalition building and they go down the, a checklist. You should do this and you should feel bad about this. And it became this whole political correctness. Uh, and that is what turns off the people. Bernie Sanders probably has a better economic solution for these people. But if you listen to Bernie, he goes, join my revolution. They don't want to join a revolution. They want to be left alone. And, but I mean, aren't they mutually exclusive, though, Cliff? Uh, yes, because, hey, look, look at Trump's. A convention, his first convention speech. I can do this all myself. I, people would go, he's a dictator. I, the people in rural America, that's what they, that's fine with them. If you give them a job and they can live their life and you leave them alone, that's, that's preferable to all this political correctness and political activity and agenda. Uh, so that's what the Democrats don't know how to communicate and let me tell you, they can't go there anymore and say, we, 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 what a great democratic message would be, we kept those jobs here. We found a way to do it. And that's why you have, they can't, they can't say that. They go there and go, oh, we couldn't do anything about it. The jobs were going to leave anyway. Okay, here, here's the deal. I think that is what both the Democrats and Republicans, the, the establishment Democrats and Republicans do right now. Here, here's where I, I, I think there is really common ground. Uh, you, you just said these, these, uh, and these rural Americans, they want a job. They don't mind a dictator. They just want a job. They don't want anybody to tell them what to do. Okay? Yes. That doesn't compute. They, they don't mind a dictator as long as they have a job but they don't want anybody to tell them what to do. I'm going to tell you that I think it's a little bit deeper than that, but I want to hear if you don't think that is a, if that is sort of a, uh, what's the word? Uh, that, those, two, those things don't compute. I know to, to them it may at this point, but it doesn't, I, I, and that's why I think there are other factors that I want to talk about other than don't tell me what to do, because it is not about what, don't tell me what to do, it's about who I don't want telling me what to do, maybe. Look what, look what the dictator was telling them, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave you alone. You know what? And he, he said that specifically to them. And when he, I'm going to leave you alone, I am protecting these jobs. I'm putting tariffs on products, which we were told, hey, one cent of tariff would wreck the whole economy. He proved that wasn't true. That, that That's not true. It, but, and so, and so but who paid the tariff? The totality of it. If you look at the totality, he was, now, here's the problem. 
you don't never, once the dictator gets control, you never know what he's going to do. <laughs> but to get in the hole, to get you in the Venus flytrap where he closes down on you, then you've been had. That's the whole dictator. Look at what Saddam Hussein told the people when he, before, when he, before he became a dictator. I'm going to let you leave your lives. So I'm not saying it was the truth, what he was saying. I'm going to leave you alone. But in the in the totality, I'm going to keep your job here. I'm going to leave you alone, and I can do this all, all myself. So look at the totality of the message, and you start to see that it does it does weave together. Now, I I I I, th I don't think I agree with that, but that that's not important here. Um, what is important, however, is I think. Uh, I want to know what is it, what will it take for rural America to decide that it's not going to look at these those issues that you're talk of, talking about if it actually hurts them. What is it going to take for? Because you said okay, they want to be left alone. They don't want to be told what to do. In other words, they don't want to they don't want to be told that gay marriage is okay or that they they must support gay marriage. Okay, uh, is the converse true? Do they want to be able to tell the gay person who wants to get married that they shouldn't? Well, I tell you, you, you you're 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 picking up some rightful contradictions because let me give you this example before I answer your question. I will see my high school classmates, many of them, most of them still live right there. 95% mm -hmm. of them still live right there. Yeah. They will go on Facebook and rant and rave about Obamacare. Mm -hmm. They will rant and say, you know, this is awful. But when they get sick, they're the first ones on it. Right. They don't, you would think in the hospital, you would say, you know, this is kind of great care I'm getting here for free. Shoot, I should advocate for this but that's not the uh, analysis they do. <laughs> so let me stop you right there because that is where somebody like you should come in, right? Because better than anybody else, somebody who writes a book called A Redneck Reverie, the rationale for the Trump phenomenon, you are the one who, because to put it, I don't want to sound elitist, but to put it bluntly, what happened is uh, th these people don't really have good critical thinking skills to move forward in life in other words they have written and, and i'm telling you this i'm not tell, i would never say this to rural america ever <laughs> You're right, but right. i'm telling you this um there's not a lot of critical thinking skills there but you know who has good critical critical thinking skills you do well and, if you if you thank you but, and, but i'm not done i'm not ahead, done go you ahead, have go good ahead. critical thinking skills you are the perfect conduit having lived it and to be able and would be respected in an area like that. But what I've found, and you explain it to me better if you can, please, is that people like you in general are go into these rural areas and monopolize on their ignorance and use it for a better good. And I can give you a list of senators, a list of Congress people who know that Medicare for all is better for rural America. It's better for the opioid epidemic. It's better for all these issues. I can prove that mathematically it'll cost them less, but they won't believe me. They would believe you. Um, well, first of all, if you read the book, uh, the, I have a solutions chapter in the book. Mm -hmm. I hadn't read, read that chapter. Please read the solutions chapter because I said in the solutions, this is not about tax cut. This is not about tax incentives. The only way you're going to turn this whole culture that we have lost uh, around is direct government payments. I don't care if you got to go in there and give full employment to them. Uh, that, that's, you said that in the, in the end of the book. Yes, I did. You know, the, you know, we have part, that is actually, there, there's a direct payments. We have, we have that as a progressive policy. I've got it in the book. Yes. Now, uh, and this goes to, uh, you, know, the, you know, some of my conservative friends say, well, we'll give them some tax incentives. My governor here in the state of Georgia, let's set up some, I said, there's nothing to incent right now. There's no, right. you, you've got to go in with direct payments, give them a full employment and turn this thing around because it's 
a far worse, and please read the chapter on the opioids. It's far worse than inner city of America has ever seen. I want to stop you right there because that, that, that is true what you're just saying. But here's an issue. Unfortunately, because of the way the crack ep epidemic in urban areas were covered and how the opioid epidemic is covered differently, one is treated as a medical issue, one is treated as a law enforcement issue. I think, believe it or not, that is consequential in how in how it has grown over in in middle in rural America. Your thoughts? You're saying it was a law enforcement over a medical issue? In no, I'm saying in urban America it was considered a law enforcement error. I mean, a, issue in rural America it's considered a medical issue. And given that in, in the, the the places that get money are is law enforcement under our current type government. Whereas medical stuff is not treated as well, it actually hurts the rural areas that much more. I, I agree with you on that. And, you know, there is... Uh... I'm Robert Conti, Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. I have an urgent message. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities have increased in D.C. And I need your help to reverse this troubling trend. Did you know that using a seatbelt can drastically reduce the risk of death or serious injury to you or a loved one? Seatbelts save lives, and together we can accomplish a safer community. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in D.C. Always wear your seatbelt. Click it or ticket. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money. Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Probably a tinge of racism uh, in, in, in that ultimate outcome but we did see the law enforcement was a total failure they got a great they got a great excuse uh they can say look we tried law enforcement and, and it was a tremendous failure so now we got to try rehabilitation um one first instance many of the lives were black and the second instance many of the lives are white so right. it's convenient but it's probably true it, instead of an inconvenient truth, it's probably a convenient truth. Um, so that is uh, where I see with that. And what was your other question? No, no, I, I think that, I, that, I, that actually answers both. You, you agreed with, with that medical, we don't put a lot into medical care, and you also talked about the racial issues. So that, that completes it. Yeah, you know, um, I, I wrote in the book that, uh, you know, White liberals tend to underestimate their own racism and overestimate the racism in everybody else. Um, if you look at, um, and I, I write that there, and I, I write in the book, in these policies, there's a thread of racism, look, that, that there is, but it doesn't, it's not as high as give me a job and leave me alone. You know, it's, it's interesting that you spoke about the white liberal uh, or white progressive. I, I go to a lot of white progressive conferences and I go to a few conservative and uh, while conservatives go out of their, while white conservatives go out of their way to try to make me comfortable, to prove to me that they're not racist, uh, the white progressives don't give a damn and they they have their own cliques and sometimes i'm the forgotten man in certain in certain areas so that is something that i've spoken about written about at daily coast a, a whole lot about people are people Con i found good conservatives bad conservatives good progressives <laughs> right. bad progressives right. you know you I, I imagine i'm talking a to a good conservative right now i'm an engineer by training and i only believe in numbers and i also understand humanity i think we need to tr separate progressive values from the progressives who create them. A lot of the progressives who create them couldn't live to the standards of what progressivism really is. You follow? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, But what I think are these values, however, under the right context with the right uh, messenger, I think would get to 
the rural America and make a better country. And I tell you what, you actually stated it yourself in talking about direct payments, what we call basic income. If we started that and we built on that so that these people could see that a lot of how they were indoctrinated, government, government don't work. Government is the problem where they can actually see that, no, government is a solution because if you believe our society, we, the people of the United States, in order to form a better union, that is government. And I think if we started preaching and teaching that and also making sure that government works and having a messenger who can do it vis-a-vis -vis Cliff Oxford and others, I think we would be able to solve some problems. Yeah, that's a much better message than showing up and saying, you know, um, all the political correctness and how awful you are, which the Democrats basically lectures and chastises and tells them how bad they are. I think if you want to do this, and this is going to be a brave candidate running for president, you want those rural voters to change, show up with your checkbook and say, you know what, we're going to give you full employment. We're going to bring your jobs back here, even if we have to pay for it. And I, and I put an idea in the book. Uh, you know, many of the jobs there are paying, let's say, nine to $10 an hour. The government could have a program to say, we're going to raise you, we're, we're going to pay you $20 an hour. Your company's paying you 10 and we're going to true up, just like the stimulus check. We're going to stimulate your job for two years at 10 and let you make $20 an hour. And by that time, you should, be, you should show, because we still got to tell people you got to work. By that time, your hard work and your experience, that employer may not let you go. They may say, it's just worth it to us to keep you here for $20 an hour. But there's got to be a lot of creativity in solving these problems. I, I come from the business side and entrepreneurial side. And all of our big, how do you beat the incumbents? Is you come up with great creative ideas. And that's something sorely missing from the government sector is creative ideas where it's a win-win. Now well, look, you know, I'm it's not advocating, let me make sure this is clear. Yes. I'm not advocating to go in there with the checkbook and say, you don't have to work. We're just gonna send you a check every month. I'm not advocating that, I'm not for that. I am saying, you know what, if you get up and go to work every day and you, we, we've got to true up, the government's got to true up and that sort of thing will get their attention and you could get the rural voters in. Now, Cliff, let, let me tell you something. I, for, uh, look, we're getting closer to close. So what, here's what I'd like you to do. Give a, give a quick synopsis of your book. Uh, and then I want to ask you one last question. Two last questions. Sure. Well, the book is a, not an anti-Trump book or a pro-Trump book. It's the, 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 there is a political rationale for the Trump phenomenon. And that's what I describe. It's not about a bunch of racist people who's, there's an element of that, but the people, there was 2.7 million voters who got off their couch and put Trump in office that hadn't voted in the previous election. And if you look at these people, it, they were all hurt by an economic coup and it was orchestrated and it wasn't a right on the Capitol like we saw last time. It was a lot more crueler. It came in the middle of the night and it took their jobs away because from 1970 to 1980, the stock market went up only 1.2%, 700 points. It goes up 700 points in a day now, 7,000 points. So the economic coup that they said, we can't, we gotta, we gotta hurt wages in the country. And where, the job, where they could do that, and they did it more than they did in the inner city, they went to these rural towns and they took those jobs from $20 an hour to $2 an hour in China. And that was what created the climate. And this is very important. I, that created the climate and conditions for a Donald Trump, a reality star celebrity to be elected president of the United States. And that was created over 40 years. So when the media says, how can they vote for this man? I can tell you, the book tells you exactly how they can vote for the man and, and the rationale for it and what is really hurting the country. So 
that and then I at the chapter I provide solutions. The final part of the book, I grew up in the Okefenokee Swamp and I grew up in redneck heaven. And it was country sunshine. And now when I go home, it's country squalor. And you say, and I talk to the people there and they go, Cliff, white privilege my ass. I'm sitting here living in a trailer park. My kids are don't have jobs. And this was all taken away from us by people in Washington, D.C. Cliff, I love that last part that you just said, to which I say, whenever we unite the ghettos, the barrios, and Appalachia, we would have cleaned out the plutocracy. But what the vote that rural America has been making has actually done much less for them, and I think you would have to agree than would have otherwise if we got progressives, not establishment, if we got progressives in power who believe in all the items that you just spoke about, from basic income when necessary, to making sure we have livable wages, to making sure those people have health care, all those particular issues pushed specifically by progressives are what we are actually looking at. And the only kind of spokesperson that can help that kind of unity is when we get guys like you out there who actually understand those people in, in that region to actually join the fold. So um, thank you very much uh, for that. What, give me a last comment as far as what would you like me to ask that I didn't ask you? Uh, you know, you did, you did a very good job. You got right to the heart of the matter and I appreciate that. Um, you know, I think what's next, what's going to happen next, it would be a great, great question. I'm looking at doing an uh, update to the book. My publisher wants me to write uh, what happened, <laughs> what happened and what's next. And maybe call it what's next for the rednecks. Well, I'll have what's next for the rednecks right here on Politics Done Right. It's been my honor to have Cliff Oxford here. He's a businessman. He's he likes to call himself kind of a redneck, but we know that's not real, <laughs> you know, but um, we have a lot to talk about, Cliff. I, I, I want to pick your brain on a few things for a few things that I write myself. Uh, sure. Thank you for having been on Politics and Right. All right. Thank you. Folks, don't forget to go ahead and go to kpft.org, kpft.org, and give us whatever you can to make sure this community radio station stays on the air kpft.org we are here with jerry Locke, who is the director of the texas drought project which was founded in 2009 jerry how are you doing today i'm doing fine well look uh, first of busy, all thank busy you. but doing fine well i mean you should be busy because we have a hell of a lot of problems in this country to correct so um that you're That's busy absolutely true I, I, I think that your business says quite a bit. But anyhow, we're here to talk about uh, Biden's climate plan or, or the pieces that we like and the pieces that you're concerned about. So why don't uh, let me pass you the ball and tell me what it is exactly, first of all, that Texas Drought Project is all about. Well, we were formed in 2009 right after Waxman-Markey, the first big national bill. And we've been, we've had, you know, big projects, especially in the last five years. We, 2015, we got 228 Texas organizations, all the, the big organizations we wanted to sign a really strong resolution on climate. 2016, we got over 65% of the delegates at the Texas uh, Democratic Convention in San Antonio to sign another really strong statement in climate. Uh, and that was with one of the, the delegate, one of the presidential candidates working against us all day long. But we have lots of good volunteers. Uh, and then we had successes in 2017, the, uh, 2018. Uh, but the last two years have been given almost entirely to trying to figure out a good we, you know, to support the Green New Deal uh, and get a, a really good climate bill because uh, our, our calculations, and they, these are scientific calculations, are that at best we have four more years 
and that's four more years globally to cut, or at least in the big emitters globally, to cut emissions, or we will face the worst of climate change. Okay, when, when you say things like that, four more years, and I, I'm going to play a sort of devil's advocate. You know, I'm 100% behind the Green New Deal. But when you put a number out, like in four more years, something is going to happen. What is it that people are going to see in four more years, in your opinion? Um, There's an organization, I don't want to go too far in this, but there's an organization called the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. They were, they're kind of considered the gold standard, but they're not because the way they were set up, they were set up to be really conservative. Um, and, And they are. And every six years they issue a report, they look back at the report six years before that, and every every single time they underestimate what is going to happen. And one way that they are really conservative is that they, uh, the scientists, really good scientists, thousands of them write a scientific statement. And then that statement is edited line by line by politicians from the, from the uh, member country, 195 member countries. So what comes out is much more a political statement than a scientific statement. Two years ago, they said we have 12 years left, again, to make significant cuts globally or face the worst of climate change. And as soon as I saw that, I said, I bet you it's only six or less because that's, that's what happens in their reports. You know, there's a long, they have a long track record of underestimating what's going to happen. So we looked at some uh, others, uh, organizations. Um, there was one, especially uh, Christina Figueres, and people probably don't know her name, but she was real important. She was head of the UN climate negotiations. Uh, she was head of that from Copenhagen in 09 through the Paris Accord. Um, and she saw everything. And that was the, the, the six most vital years and she saw everything. She's, you know, she heard everything, and she signed a lo- uh, a letter three and a half years ago uh, with a bunch of other scientists, and uh, saying we had very little time left. Uh, we've decided. I have granddaughters. I have sons. I know lots of other people. I can't eliminate hope, and she could be wrong. Um, so what we're going with is a guy Anderson at Harvard. He's Professor Emeritus. Uh, He was the one that found the hole in the ozone and led the fight to to solve that problem. A year ago, he said we have five years. So that leaves four years left. Um, I could, you know, so that's where it comes from. And the worst of climate change is not the fires and the hurricanes, which are horrible that we're, we're witnessing but it's when there isn't food on the table, there's ecological collapse. And that, that is already happening in the southern third of Africa. So I think what um, you're saying is that you get, the, you get the temperature variations and the changes that causes the growth patterns around the world to change, which then create uh, starvation, correct? Yeah, yeah. It'll be, there'll be, uh, in southern Africa, they're, they're, they, it's a combination of drought and, and uh, but also that their crops just aren't coming in and their livestock are dying. And they're kind of the canary in the coal mine in terms of climate. They're leading. And that was all, everyone always knew that Africa would lead. And Africa is leading in terms of the impact. Yeah, well, right it's a, actually the biggest, the real biggest continent in the planet, even though the maps don't quite show that. But um, let's go ahead and uh, uh, talk about... Uh, I want to localize it to Texas, and then we'll expand it to what Biden is doing. Uh, What are you doing here in Texas with regards, or what's going on in Texas right now with regards to drought and climate change? Well, uh, there's drought here and there. It isn't like the drought that hit us in in 2010 and 2011, but it's, it's, it's significant. If you talk to farmers out in West Texas, it's really significant. Um, there, and it's growing a little bit. Um, that isn't so much the problem. The problem is that 
what's ahead in the near future if we don't do something. And uh, right now, the and it, you can't be kind of Texas solutions or Austin solutions right. or Houston solutions. It has to be a national bill. The, the problem is just too big for it to be, be done piecemeal. It has to be done with a national bill. Okay, now when you when you talk about going back to that four year mission, given that you know we know that Texas has been in a almost a consistent drought. Twenty ten was horrendous. Right now, if I take a look at the lake levels on the Colorado River, I see some issues there and and, and other places. If we look at the Colorado River in Colorado, it's yeah. even worse. We have a constant decline in in the in the lake levels, which means we have low snowpacks, all that kind of stuff. Four years. Are you saying that uh, all these particular issues will get worse? Correct. Well, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in four years it will be too late, and regardless of what we do, it won't work. Well, there, there's geoengineering that that could solve the pro solve the problem, but it also creates a bigger problem than than what we're witnessing. No, I'm not saying that it will be that that all the effects will be apparent in four years. I'm just saying we'll reach a point, what the scientists are saying, that it'll just be too late and we won't be able to do much about it uh, without resorting to ge geoengineering and everything that I've read that that could, that there's a possibility that could be, have side effects as bad as climate change. And so we wanna do it kind of the more traditional way. There's already too much too many emissions in the atmosphere already. So we're gonna to have to do two things at the same time. We're gonna to have to lower our emissions with things like renewables and other things. And then we're also gonna to have to figure out a way to take emissions out of the air. So it's new emissions. We need to stop new emissions and then take emissions out of the air. And you can do, Biden's plan actually has some of that with uh, farmers. They can grow different crops and they won't till in the same way and their crops can be used to absorb uh, emissions and the same thing with forests and I gather that there's I, I was just reading this morning there's an initiative on forest also that might happen so that those two things can take care of the emissions in the air and then we need to go to we need to do a variety of different things but maybe the primary one being it uh, being, uh, excuse me, uh, the primary one is uh, renewables and, right. you know, just kind of put them out as much as we can pot and fast as we can put them out. This is solvable. But okay, the so let's, let's we, we know it's solvable. Now let's go ahead and equate this now to uh, Biden's plan. What's good about Biden plans and can Biden plan as it stands right now, start the mitigation or is it just too little too late? It's too little too late, but it's a good start. It's much, much better than anything he's been associated with in the past. Um, and it, it has things of climate justice provisions that come from Green New Deal. They're kind of not filled out very much, but that they're there. It does a lot about transportation and electric cars and mass transit. Um, it does a lot of things about a lot of things uh, but it's it's still too late. It doesn't do anything about fracking, um, except on federal. I lands. tell you what. I think for the audience, what what we probably should do here is so that the audience sees that uh, the work that you're doing is pretty damn complete. Uh, you have a, a website, a page that I'm going to post along with the blog post that goes with this. And let sure. me read a few things. You said that the Biden plan includes important but limited elements of climate justice for communities that have been damaged by emission and pollution in the past. Farmers changing their farming habits to sequester emissions, spending heavily on electric vehicles, mass transit and energy efficient buildings, if electricity production being carbon free by 2030 and the hope that USA progress will uh, encourage China, you, the European Union, Japan, South Korea, and others. Guys, you got to put Great Britain in there now because they're no longer a part of the European Union. Right. As a part of, um, as a part of the, the answers. These are the largest emitters in the world right now. Um, so if uh, uh, the, the Biden plan, as you see it, it's just a very small start. 
it's better than a small start, but it's still inadequate. Like I said, it's better than anything he's been associated with in the past. And they're, they're real. some of the, the things that you read are important, especially the last one. If the US can do something significant, since we're the biggest emitter per capita and historically, if the US can do something, then that will encourage other countries to do it. What happens is that countries hide behind each other. They blame right. the problem on the next country. And if we move, that that will take away being able to blame it at us. Well, you know, I think we, as, as Americans, we also have to be honest, right? We built our wealth on carbonizing the air. Absolutely. Which means uh, countries that have not yet built their wealth, uh, I think they justifiably can say we want some sort of a compensation not to do to the planet, to the atmosphere, what you've done to enrich yourself, right? Isn't that something that is fair? That's, that's absolutely important. In Kyoto, uh, which was 97, it was the, like the yearly UN climate conference, they, they were starting to take that into account and that they, they knew that there was historical, uh, there was a history that have, would have to be resolved and poor countries would have to be uh, compensated, compensated or helped in some way for the emissions that rich countries did because poor countries have very little in terms of emissions africa especially right but also india even china and others they their their per capita emissions are just a, a fraction of what here so yes yeah, something has to be done and in copenhagen in 09 they turned their back on what happened at kyoto Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber, signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit penfed.org slash powercash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. And they, I mean, they really turned their back. And in, in uh, Paris in 2015, they finished that off by, by saying that poor countries cannot, uh, they made poor countries sign a document that said that they cannot sue rich countries for the damage done to them. It is amazing. You know, let me stop you there because it is amazing how, uh, the, the, the capitalist countries work. It is always about uh, protecting something that you may have done uh, to hurt somebody else in order to do something that is good. That is, I mean, we see it in medicine, in, in the pharmaceutical industry. We see it in all these different industries across the board. And, and that is almost a des, 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 destined failure. But continue, please. No, that, that was basically it. You know, they, they've turned their back on the poor countries. They were going to set up a fund. It was a small fund, not nearly enough. But at least they were going to do that. But they haven't funded that fund. Um, and so they've really turned their backs on the countries of, of Asia, uh, Latin America, and especially Africa. They right. I have That's a history a in Africa. That is a shame. I, I was, uh, that is a utter shame. Uh, I, before we go, I want to go ahead and say uh, you also at your excellent page on the website cite uh, that which the Biden plan does not cover appropriately. And what you say is one, it does not ban fracking. Two, methane leaked from frack wells is up to 80 times more potent than CO2, the gas we hear most about. It doesn't do anything about that. Dates for the ending of fossil fuel. Uh, extraction and fuel used, uh, which are early enough to avoid the worst of climate change, sufficient investment in research infrastructure, frontline communities and technology, 
uh, prog more progressive versions of a Green New Deal to allocate up to eight times the, uh, the, the money of Biden's plan, which means it's very inadequate. Attention to the voices of the communities of color. And why that is so important is right now, again, if you take a look at where most of the pollution occurs, where most of the CO2 is let out from factories, from refineries, it's generally in areas with people of color, which means you get more healthcare costs and all these other things, which right. further suppress their ability to build capital and to live a healthy life. And no, lastly, that's... currently the plan simple lists statistics and says it will stand up to fossil fuel companies without giving any real direction. All of that's absolutely true. The most important, some well, all of that's really important. Another thing that is really important also is that Kerry and Biden both have a history of using market mechanisms, which, which are a way for corporations to say, I'll do something someplace else in India or China or, uh, or Indonesia but I don't want to cut emissions in our factories in this country. Right. And it's called market mechanisms or cap and trade. And it's just full of corruption always. And it won't work. It's never worked. It won't work. But it, you know, it's like they can say, well, we did this. Well, um, and, and then when the it plays out. Our, our economic system, uh, Jerry, it's always about something. Uh, it's always capital over everything else. That's absolutely and, true. And if you put capital over everything else, uh, you lose the human, the human part about it. And unfortunately, those with capital can go ahead and live in a sterilized environment where they can control the atmosphere, but everybody else lives within the mess that they create. No, that's absolutely true. And it's a horror. You know, I, I started to say that I have a, a history in Africa from being in Peace Corps, but I also ha have joined uh, groups in Africa over the years. And so I, I, I'm not active in that sense, but I really track what's going on there. Right. Because like it's the canary in the coal mine and it's let, already let, happening. Let, I think it's great that you have this project. Uh, it's, uh, it's called Texas Drought Project, of course. But uh, one of the th contentions that I have is we tend, as those that are progressive, tend to lean hard on the politicians. We lean hard on Biden. We lean hard on these things. Um, don't you think we need to start uh, doing more in the community proper so that we can build a bigger base of people who understand this stuff and really pressure the politician. Do you think maybe that that's that we need to put a bit more effort there? And that's a question I don't, I can't quite answer. You know, you should know that better than I can. No, we're trying to do that in our modest way. We're doing lot, lots of outreach to people of color. Uh, it's too, you know, it's late in the day, but we, we've been trying for a number of years to do that. Um, and it's important. There has to be a larger coalition than white environmentalists and much larger than that. And uh, the, the question is, you know, you, you say you're reaching out to the people of color. That's important. But also, let me, let me tell you something that, that bothers me many times within our body politic. Um, there is a mass of people. Let's look, at, let's look at the people who think the green. I just, before I came on air with you, I went and read AOC's Green New Deal resolution. I read the entire resolution. Uh -huh. And uh, the reason I wanted to read it is I wanted to see what it is that uh, all those Trump supporters were really upset about and the things that they said about it. And actually, for the, his base, the Green New Deal is a hell of a deal for them. And yeah. uh, that they don't know that. And again, the, uh, the, you know, that to me, that is a big <laughs> mass of people that we should also target. In other words, we don't only have to target the progressive coalition, but I think we have to find a way to target them too. My question to you is how can you, how can we do that? What you're doing here is great coming on to a program that has reached not only in a progressive sphere, but in a conservative sphere. But don't you think we have to uh, kind of get into more of that sphere as well? Yeah, I think we need to reach out into all communities. I mean, we, 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 there are four people that I'm, three other people that I'm working now, and we're, we're trying that. Uh, in terms of uh, 
we're, we're, we're making inroads in labor or labor is just moving, which is, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a split labor. Some people support climate action, others don't so much. But you had Texas AFL-CIO that passed uh, a year and a half ago at their summer conference, passed a pretty good, um, a pretty good bill, a resolution. Um, you have SEIU that's, that's working with us. You have National Nurses United that's working with us. And you have Ryan Pollock, who's with, uh, with the IBEW, the electricians, has done incredible work. And stuff, and then you, you doing that, you get into way out of kind of middle class environmentalist. You get into working people uh, through the unions, um, and we're 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 trying. But I, well, let me. The fact <laughs> there are only four of us. <laughs> but Jerry, Jerry, the, the fact that you're here and that you're putting this out, that is important. I I am give I'm throwing that clarion call out not for you and your organization, but for other people who are going to be listening to uh, the program, that we all have to do more, all of us. You are doing a lot. You're out there. Your your organization, from everything that I hear uh, here in town, and I'm in Houston, you're in Austin, everything that I hear, you're you're a very hardworking organization. We need a lot more to do a hell of a lot of that kind of work mostly educating the people throughout the country. Uh, and not only, not only progressives per se, not only union people per se, but this, you know, when that, when that tsunami comes, it doesn't only affect progressives, it affects everybody. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, that's true. What, what I want to do is encourage people to go to our website and there's a way to sign up or my, my phone number is there. The phone number of the other organizers is there. Lauren does Houston, Tenny, she's with uh, our revolution, but she's working with us half time. And we have, there's plenty of work to be done. Biden's climate bill will probably, will almost surely come for a vote in the first hundred days of his administration. Um, and we're, we're kind of scared that it might come earlier than later. Uh, I'm a little bit reassured by uh, information I got yesterday that it, you know, it won't be right away. It, mm-hmm. it'll, it, it'll be slowed down a bit. Um, and, but there needs to be a, a gigantic mobilization happens in this state. That means uh, we're, one thing we're asking every group that we talk to and every person that we ask to you have a list that you could, you know, call when the time comes, and everyone's saying yes. Um, so we hope that a lot of different groups will mobilize their email list and their Twitter and their this and that. Uh, well, Jerry, it has you know, to be gigantic. It can't be just just half-hearted. Not anywhere near that. Sheila Jackson Lee. We hope. I think she will be. She, uh, she will be a champion on this mm-hmm. issue. Al Green, we have hopes for. Lizzie Fletcher um, and Sylvia Garcia, it's going to be harder, but they're, they're signs of hope even, you know, with them. Uh, and that's kind of how it is all over the state. There, there's some Congress people that we want to be champions. Lloyd Doggett's one that comes, Veronica Escobar yes, in El Paso yes, yes. comes to mind. Well, that is, that is great, uh, Jerry. Jerry, um, before we close here, what would you have liked me to ask you? What would you like to put out there that I hadn't asked or that you want to get out there? Uh, almost everything. I just want to say one, once again, go to our website, Texas Drought Project, and you'll find phone numbers that you can call, call any of the organizers. Um, and it's time to mobilize. I mean, we may only have a month left before this is decided and what the U.S. does as I've said before, will it may determine what other countries do. This isn't a problem just for the U.S., but the fact that we're such a huge emitter per capita, we're if we move, that will move other countries. Uh, Jerry Locke, director of Texas Drought Project. You can reach him at 
uh, you can get to their website at texasdroughtproject.org. Texasdroughtproject.org. Please go there, sign up, help the movement. The environment belongs to us all. Let's make sure and get this right. Uh, It's been my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right. Jerry, uh, thank you for all the work that you do. You please keep doing what you're doing. And thank you for the thoughtful interview. I hope you enjoyed that. My name is Egberto Willis, and you know how I end this program. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal.